Chris might have a voice for uh, karaoke. What does the fox say? Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 39 of 2022. Happy autumn. The leaves are changing color and pumpkin spice is in the air. With me, I have my co-host, the Cloud God, who does not live near any trees and is unfamiliar with this leaf color change phenomenon. Congratulations. And you're right, there are no trees here. The, the little trees that we do have in our yard are actually evergreen, so they, they don't drop anything. Nor do they change color. And we have Glenn Medina, who is temporarily home, so his audio should be loud and clear this week. Hey, everybody. Yes, home for a couple hours and then uh, take care of some stuff on the home front and then heading back out to Denver. So happy to be here. Watch out for those. Uh, when you go to the Denver airport, look for all those things that we talked about on that conspiracy uh, episode that we did, like the creepy horse and the gargoyles and the baggage claim oh. area. Oh, yeah. I never make it to the baggage claim area because I, I never check luggage. You have well, to walk an effort past it this just time. to get to yeah. the, the ride share, don't you? Mm, I guess. I don't know. I, I'm like out. I, I never want to hang around the airport. And so. just like that, thousands of listeners just fast forwarded 30 seconds because no <laughs> one cares. <laughs> So true. No guests this week. We do have some international guests lined up, so we're going to have to work on scheduling them in to align our time zones. Mm, Combine. Combine. We have decades of information security experience and here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In closing the loop this week, I don't have anything. How about you guys? I've got nothing. So there's that. I don't remember anything anyway from what I had for lunch today. So I don't have anything to close. All right. For our opening topic, both of you have been talking about cars in our group chat quite a bit. Glenn, you're in the market for a new one. And Brian, you just got Tesla's full self-driving autopilot for city streets. Glenn, why don't you go first? What are your observations right now for the new and used car markets? It is ridiculously overpriced. Uh, The fact that dealers uh, are charging $20,000 above uh, MSRP is just, it's crazy. I don't understand why. But uh, it's definitely making me think that I don't want to buy a car right now. Even on the used market, it's it's just out of, it's just out of control. I don't know about you guys, but who would buy a car that's twenty grand over the asking price? It's the Bro, chip I, shortage. It is, but shortage. still, yeah. like I tried to order the the Raptor R. They wanted fifty grand over. There's no way yeah. in hell. There's no way. Yeah. So you ended up going with a used car. Was that used car above? above blue book value uh so kelly blue book has adjusted for the market right so i would say that it was fairly priced i would say that the the one thing that surprised me was 
their ability to actually negotiate on the used cars. So we like I went in, you know, there was a delta between uh, my trade plus that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, okay, great. Like, uh, I'll, I'm going to the next dealership. And he said, well, what's it going to take for you to, to make this happen? I said, you need to come down like 7,500 bucks. You can do that. You make a little. I feel like I didn't get completely. And uh, we didn't have a good time. And uh, about 20 minutes later, we came to an agreement. So it all ended up working out pretty nice. So did they give you more also for your trade, knowing that, that oh, was it adjusted for market as well? So you had to look at this from this perspective, right? The the trade in the new car, it just it doesn't really matter where they give you the money, whether it's on on the trade yeah. or or discounting it. I will say that they ended up dropping the price of the used car, and they they offered me seventy five grand, I believe, for my trade, and they have it listed on their website right now for seventy two. So I think they were just kind of fudging the numbers to make it make it work. So I think they they discounted the uh the trade-in or the the vehicle i was buying yeah that is amazing yeah i think it's and that's also part of the salesperson their commission is affected by the net sale of the vehicle and i don't think they get dinged for the trade-in so that's how they have a little bit more uh, adjustment that they could do when you have a trade-in like that and won't affect their commission as much yeah exactly so i was happy to get it done so now i got a deal with a new vehicle i would have to say probably my favorite thing off this new truck is that it has exhaust braking so it's kind of like regenerative braking but it's not at all but it literally just cuts off the exhaust and uses engine compression to slow down the vehicle it's kind of neat especially if you're towing sounds weird though right when you when you when that kicks in yeah well it's not only sound weird it sounds cool i feel like a man <laughs> the growl what do noise. i gotta do to get you in this truck <laughs> It's funny that's coming. That's making a comeback because when yeah. some so somebody in our circle that you guys know went to go buy a new SUV, and that person's experience was the exact same thing. They called around to multiple dealerships. Everyone was over asking, and finally called one that said, "I'll give it to you at MSRP," and that was a deal. So apparently, getting a new vehicle at MSRP is a deal nowadays. Yeah. I, I tell everyone when I go in to buy a car, I go, you got 10 minutes to come back to the price I want. Don't be hanging out in the manager's office, you know, diddling over there and just talking about nothing. I said, I will walk out of this place if uh, if you make me wait more than 10 minutes. So Glenn is a time with a stopwatch. I do. I, I look at my watch and I tell him it's, you know, it's 630. You've got till 640. Um, and don't come out here, you know, and tell me that you need more time or I'm like, that's plenty of time right there. So if this was a series, like the, an episode of the office, you were 100% white shrewd at this point in time. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's just okay. need a beat farm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a and... lot better back then. Cause you could, uh, like I was using USAA to go buy cars, um, and that you would go in, I think it was true car at that time. And you could get the value of the car already pre pre-negotiated. So all you did was walk in with a ticket and they sold you the car exactly for that price. And it was no fuss, no muss sign the papers and you're out of there. And like within, within an hour, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's how car buying should be. So that Agree. I would even one up you on that. So back in the day, I have the ability, I would negotiate at a very minimum, the, the the cost of the vehicle at invoice plus get the dealer hold back 
plus the dock fee get all that stuff kind of like discounted like they're like we can't waive the dock fee i'm like well you can just discount the vehicle because i'm not paying your 14 dollars <laughs> an hour you know intern uh to to file the paperwork for you know 550 bucks but i said but i was always cooperative i would say well what i can do since you're going to give it to me at this price is I'll, I'll i'll buy the vehicle and i will finance any portion of this that you want and i will take whatever rate you give me so at the end of the day there is a, a buy rate and a sell rate that comes from the bank. So let's uh-huh. say that you qualify for 3%. The the dealership can sell it to you for 5 And if you do, they make two points in the deal on whatever, you know, the cost of the vehicle is. And so then you just have to come to like a gentleman's agreement. Like, listen, I'll finance it and I'll, and I'll hold the loan for four months or however long you need to get paid. And then I'm going to pay it off and go bounce my day. And uh, usually if you have that level of conversation, it works. But not right now in this market. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's really different my wife's car. Did exactly that. We financed it for four months. They got paid. We paid it off. Paid a little bit in interest, but the amount we saved financing it, uh, it was more than the what minuscule interest accrued in four months. All right, another lesson learned right there, guys. There you go. That'll be an appendix in our SE book that we're definitely <laughs> writing right now. <laughs> a little delayed. <laughs> All right, for our first topic, we have to address the elephant in the room of Rockstar Games, the maker of the Grand Theft Auto franchise of games. They were hacked by allegedly the same hacker using the same tactics as that ride-hailing app company. The attack started with social engineering a user credential from one of their employees using MFA bombing to get past the second factor authentication then moving laterally throughout the network and exfiltrating data along the way. The hacker allegedly stole over 90 videos from the unreleased Grand Theft Auto 6 video game, which is not set to be released for another two more years. He also stole the source code and posted on their internal Slack. The hacker released those 90 videos, but they are actively being taken down with DMCA copyright strikes. The source code is still safe for now because the hacker is allegedly negotiating with Rockstar to extort them so he won't release the source code. If this sounds familiar, it's because it's the exact same thing that happened to that ride-hailing app company last week. And we actually have some late-breaking news just this morning on InfoSec Twitter that there may be a link between these two hacks and the, the formerly defunct Lapsus group, a speculation we have had all along since the beginning so it's not an 18 year old or maybe it is an 18 year old that's working for the lapsus group well the lapsus group is made up of a bunch of teenagers so that lines up okay gotcha so let me ask you with this mfa bombing do you think homeboy is two for two or is he batting like two for a thousand like just spray and pray at this point i think two for two i think mfa bombing seems to be highly effective. Really? So you think these he, are the first two companies he just he's like, you know what? You know, that, that rideshare app, and then I'm going to go after Rockstar. F it. That's the only two I'm going to go on after? That's my belief. If it's not two, it's it's not a, a hundred. It's not two out of a hundred. It's definitely two out of single digits at nine the most. And it's yeah, the but same. These are the mo- oh, go ahead, Glenn. These are the more publicly known ones, right? We don't know what others they've done. I guess I guess it would it would have came out if they had hit some other smaller companies. Well, Lapsus is also known for only 
hitting really big companies like Microsoft and Okta and Ubisoft. They're known right. for go for the big fish. I, I guess when will people learn? When I, 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 the training, all the you know the companies. It was like you could stand up the the biggest defenses in the world, but nothing's going to help you if if you have people giving up their credentials due to MFA bombing. Is this the same MFA provider that was used in, in both attacks? It's unclear of of which MFA provider was for Rockstar. For that ride-hailing app company, it was definitely that vendor that keeps coming up. Their name keeps coming up. I don't know if Rockstar used the same one or not. But does it matter, Brian? It's still, I mean, MFA bomb is MFA bomb unless someone else is, unless one is better than the other in handling that type of detection. Right. Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm just wondering why. Right. Like, I mean, is that a is that an indicator? One of them is easier to 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 beat up on. I have no idea because I'm trying to figure out: is there a way an MFA provider could prevent the MFA bombing from occurring? So there's actually a pretty good article about this. So after that ride hailing app got hacked, they there's an article. I think it was on Bleeping Computer. If I can find it, I'll link through to it. And they have the responses from all of the identity providers, so Okta, Microsoft, that one that keeps coming up. And they all put their responses in that says something like, after 10 notifications or after 10 push notifications, we automatically lock the account. Like that would hopefully prevent something like this. If, if there's less than, if they only have 10 tries, they might not be able to quote bomb them quite as much. Microsoft has a, a pretty interesting approach where when you request the MFA code, there's a two-digit number on the screen. And on your, your phone app, it says enter this two-digit number to get the notification. So it prevents the push bombing of it. And you actually have to be physically in front of that machine. Or your user has to be trained to say, if somebody calls and gives you this number to plug in your app, it's a fish. Don't do it. Google's been yeah, doing but that I, too. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Google's been doing that as well. So if I go like on a net new device, I go to sign in with my personal email, it will tell me to, hey, use your phone, open up the YouTube app, and then press this two-digit number that appears on there. And it gives you, I believe, three to choose from. So I'm not even really prompted on my phone to do anything. I'm not getting MFA bombed, but I I have to manually kind of walk through that process, which is kind of cool. Well, the, the only thing that I can think of is if, let's say, someone's MFA bombing you and then you get a lockout. And then you get a lockout, you call in, you have them reset. And then within the, the next set of MFA bombs, you're trying to figure out which one to approve to go back and get into your own system. So I could see how that could be worked in a way that's uh, to get around that, right? Yeah. At the end of the yeah, day, but... VPN sucks. We shouldn't be doing VPN. I, I think that if you have more of a modern solution approach to that, uh, not having the user in the network and able to scan and, and look for craziness, it would help definitely eliminate that attack surface. If there was only a technology that could do that, Brian. You condescending really son amazing. of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send Chris over there to milk you. <laughs> You'll have to take a screenshot of this, Chris, so everyone will understand the, re- the, the reference. Yeah, like for our thousands of listeners out there that don't get that reference, yeah, you'll have to... I'll, I don't know. I'll post it on our Instagram at Pepcac Podcast, and you can figure out why Brian made that comment. <laughs> but I mean, it, the other narrative to this is we've been preaching: do the fundamentals, enable MFA, and amongst other things, install EDR and, and all that stuff. And 
just goes to show that just doing the fundamentals is not enough now. You have to have things like app segmentation, proper network segmentation, you know, assume breach. You assume your user is going to get compromised. How do you limit the blast radius? That's really the big mindset shift, I think. Well, how about even taking it a step before that, at, you know, at even at the root level, which is this happened, you know, this problem existed between chair and keyboard, right? This was a user that approved this. So where is the fundamental training that should have taken place? You know, we all talk about it. We all know about it. But do we practice it? And do we get reminded that we shouldn't be approving MFAs that are not... Um, that didn't originate from from you or validating that. Yeah, that might be part of the problem because push MFA, that's a convenience feature that I log into Okta, I log into Azure AD, I get a, I get a convenient prompt on my phone or my smartwatch and I just hit approve. That's a convenience feature. If we change it in such a way like Google Authenticator, I have to manually open up the app, get the six-digit code and enter it in, that is less convenient, but I would argue more secure because instead of accidentally hitting the the approve button or hitting the approve button so I stop getting these push notifications, you know, it, it requires an action on my part to actively go and open my unlock my phone, open the app, and type in the code. Have you guys looked at Octa FastPass yet? I have. And uh, Glenn's puzzled look will tell me that you guys probably haven't. So, am I under the assumption that if you're coming from like a sanctioned device for the company and you have the fast pass thing on there that you should probably never get prompted for MFA. Is that what's going on with that? I believe it prompts you for your, uh, I think it prompts you for your computer password. Yeah. A biometric or computer password. So it still prompts you, but it's not a third party app. You don't have to look anything up. You just do what you normally do, which is touch your fingerprint or type in your, your system password. Doesn't there doesn't there also another piece of that where the connection has to come from a known network, where you're you're sitting there uh, based off of the network type or network access? Yeah, you could definitely set it up that way. But now with work from anywhere, that's becoming less of a. Glenn, you shut the hell up about network access. We don't do that here. Zero trust, man. (laughs) Gross. If anything, we do deception. We do clever things. Now, now, Brian. One right, day you'll get there. Get... <laughs> All right, before this gets out of hand, let's move on to our second topic. There was a debate on InfoSec Twitter a while back asking if the plugin Grammarly, is it a keylogger? By definition, Grammarly sends all your keystrokes in order to know what you wrote and give grammar and spelling suggestions. So Grammarly actually has a FAQ on their webpage that says, no, Grammarly is not a keylogger. We don't log every single keystroke like a keylogger does. That's what a keylogger would say. (laughs) (laughs) They also say Grammarly is is blocked from accessing fields marked as sensitive. But at the end of the day, they have to get the data because they have to analyze it. And this also extends into other areas, uh, which was, there's an article written fairly recently about this for the extended spell check features in Google Chrome and Microsoft Edge web browsers, because they transmit this information. And this information could have personally identifiable information like PII, sometimes even passwords to Google and Microsoft. 
It's a known feature that this is the intended use of spell check. By definition, the data has to go to the cloud, but it just raises concerns about what happens to that data after it gets there. How safe can that be? If I submit this PII up there, or if there's a password, like when you click the show password button on a field, because you want to see the password and you want to make sure you typed it right, that field becomes live and that data is actually uploaded to Google and to Microsoft in their quote enhanced spell check. This is data is transmitted over HTTP, HTTPS, so it is secure. So any person in the middle would not be able to passively eavesdrop on this. But again, it's not always clear what happens to this data. What's the data handling once it gets to this third-party service? If Grammarly is funded by China, we're all screwed, guys. <laughs> I, I could just imagine a bunch of interns like reading reading stuff in Grammarly going, man, this is some really juicy stuff that's going on over here with this one guy or gal. <laughs> I think they, they raise like a great question here. Like I, I use Grammarly all the time, at least in the last six months. But now I'm like of the mindset that maybe I should just kill it and not use it or only use it when I'm maybe I'm editing like a, a Google Doc or something like that or, or authoring email. I wonder if I can narrow the scope down to don't talk to Zoom or Slack and things like that. Stuff that I need to keep kind of private for our business at the end of the day. I think Grammarly requires a lot of plugins. So they have the browser plugin, they have plugins for Microsoft Office. So I think you just opt out for those and then for the browser i don't know if you can block certain certain domains on the browser or not you can actually block apps within grammarly look at that so google it. actually in response to this article they shared a statement that said the text typed by the user may be sensitive personal information and google does not attach it to any user identity and only processes it in a way on the server temporarily. To further ensure user privacy, we will be working to exclude passwords proactively from spell check. So Google is aware of it. I think it's a problem that they solve that they just scan the data, check it for spelling and grammar, and then send it back. But they have no way of tying it to any individual user. Yeah, but Allegedly. what if someone accidentally types into a field that's unprotected, right? And happens to be the password because I've, I've looked at logs many a times and looking at user IDs and the encrypted password and they fail to hit tab and you can see the password right after the, the user ID log. You guys have seen that, right? Oh yes. yeah. Yes. Well that and my grandma, yeah. right? She would, yeah. she, if she had, if my grandma were alive today, she, I 100% would have something, a notes app with every password that she's ever had, uh, just in there is clear text. I guarantee it. And who's got more money than grandmas? Think about that, guys. <laughs> Untapped market. The most vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. We're giving the bad guys ideas. Let's fast forward here. Well, hold on. Hold on. There's, there's <laughs> actually a browser out there that can block extensions from running as well on critical websites. I think that company is called Island. It's oh, pretty cool. Like an enterprise level browser browser and, that's right wow could could the 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 viewing public get a hold of that or is that just for the the paying companies of the world uh, unfortunately or fortunately or however you want to look at it it's it's enterprise grade so it is built for corporations ah. but if you do want something that i think brave is the other one that you could use or just not install extensions for consumer side so 
I'm actually I'm gonna give you a little plug, man. Not that you need it because you're just plug yourself, but uh, Glenn <laughs> came over and he actually showed me a demo of it. It's pretty sexy, and I and I have no vested interest in in Island's future other than I just want to see Glenn retire one day. So uh, if you're contemplating that, you should probably dig into it. And I I think that product itself has some capabilities that I don't think you guys even realize could be so useful. Agree, agree. It's, it's still early to market and we're still trying to get there. So, but yeah, this is a fun time to be at Island. Especially from a kind of user experience uh, and not necessarily the user experience of like what sucks on the network, but how, how are your users interacting with uh, said web, web application? I think we provide a metric ton of visibility. I can't, I think it was tea leaf back in the day had a product that did that. So it, it's reminiscent of it based off the logs that he had shown me. Yeah. Cool. All right, we will read the tea leaves then. <laughs> All right, for our third topic, this is a our cryptocurrency story of the week. A report published today by Group IB notes that the amount of fake cryptocurrency giveaways have increased five times compared to the same period last year. And this is thanks to improved deep fakes and the lowering cost of using AI to produce them. So I heard a quote on the Darknet Diaries podcast, and I think it really rings true here. So there's a guy interviewing Warren Buffett, and for those of you who may not be in the know, Warren Buffett is among the richest people in the world. He's always in the top five. I think he might have been the richest at, at one point. Yeah, I never but heard of him. Wow. Somebody... <laughs> <laughs> but someone asked him, you know, what's your secret? What's your secret about getting rich? And he actually said, it's simple. Invest in good companies and be in it for the long run. And the interviewer asked him, well, why doesn't everybody just do that then and get rich? And Warren Buffett responded with, because everybody today wants to get rich quick. And I think that's definitely the case that whenever people see some kind of scam that's too good to be true, they take away all, you know, remove disbelief and just try to get rich quick and they invest too quick into it and then it ends up becoming a giant scam. And one of these popular cryptocurrency scams is the double your money scams. So I think it was maybe two years ago, somebody hacked into the Twitter accounts of very prominent people like Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Joe Biden and posted on their official Twitter accounts that said, uh, we're doing cryptocurrency awareness month uh, to celebrate it, you know, send your Bitcoin to this address and I'll send you double back. That's how the typical scam works and people actually fall for it. And the lure is going to be different in every case. But the one most recently that I read about was, uh, are you guys familiar with the Ethereum merge that happened about a week ago? No. So no. Eth Ethereum in particular is one of the cryptocurrencies that used to be very dirty and then dirty in the sense that it requires lots of energy to run the network you're running these really powerful gpus and it, it was a proof of work system so you had to do work to to earn your your money they changed it to a proof of stake system which is a lot greener it's supposed to reduce the energy impact by 99.95 percent and it was a big deal in the crypto markets that says we're, we're merging these these two branches and somebody went on Twitter that says, you know, in, in celebration of the Ethereum merge, we're 
doubling your money. So send your Ethereum to this address and I'll send you double back. And whoever runs that address got almost $500,000 worth of Ethereum. And it's just a giant scam. But, you know, people fall for it because they want to get rich quick. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. So is there any liability there? Like, people have no recourse other than I'm just stupid, right? I need to be on Twitter. Pretty much. Yeah, that's it. It's fortunately, unfortunately, of how cryptocurrency works, peer to peer decentralized system is there's uh, I wouldn't say no recourse. There's not much recourse because I, I say that because like we talked about last week that the FBI was able to uh, freeze $30 million worth of stolen cryptocurrency. You have to get really lucky. And you also have to have people be in a potentially extra, uh, friendly, extradition-friendly country if you want to catch them. But if they're good and they launder it correctly, like that money's gone. I'm just going to do it for my regular account on there. At Brian Deach, give me your crypto. I'll double it. You know what? Screw that. I will triple it. And, and on that <laughs> note, uh, if it sounds too good to be true, and on that note, if it sounds too good to be true, you know what they say, Epstein didn't kill himself. Just kidding. It probably is too good to be true. I Like outside of my little circle of friends that are in the tech field, I don't know anybody that does anything in, in crypto, period. And I wonder, like, I kind of associate anything with, you know, crypto and blockchain as being, you know, people that are a little bit smarter or at least tech savvy. I can't believe someone's that dumb. They'd be like, oh man, I'm going to roll the bones here and double my money. How about you guys? Do you like? Do you know any teachers or doctors or firefighters that are like all I in on crypto? I I have a a friend of a friend. Uh, I think last year, what I had heard was he had sold he had bought he had sold everything he had retirement pension everything went all in in crypto at like fifty five or fifty six k. And you know, as you look at today, I'm like, oh my gosh, I I'd strangle myself. But you know, single guy, he's able to recover. Um, but yeah, that's, I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, I would never, I, it's always talking about diversify, right? So, and if it sounds too good to be true, definitely, uh, it is, is, a, is another one. Um, but, but, but along the same lines, like, you know, my daughter's roommate last year was talking, her, her, her roommate, her roommate was talking about where she said that her brother was opening his own cryptocurrency and he was going to be rich. I'm like, I don't think it works that way. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, there's somebody in our circle that are not super tech savvy, but they did ask for my opinion on crypto and investing in Bitcoin. And I gave them my honest opinion and I said, yeah, I wouldn't invest any more than I'm willing to lose, but I think it's a good diversification strategy. And they, they did. They bought some crypto. It's been down a little bit from there. But I think in, if your investing horizon is a lot longer, you know, my personal belief, and I'm not a financial advisor, this is not financial advice, but I think it's it's going to be on the it's, it's going to be higher in 10 years than it is today. That's just my opinion on it. And some people can invest using that. But I think where people get in trouble is where, like Glenn said, they get in over their heads. Like I was reading these stories about uh, Celsius. We talked about that last last week as well, that some unfortunate guy took out a home equity line of credit. So he borrowed money against the, the value of his home, 100000 worth, put it all in Celsius, thinking he'd earn 20 grand a year without lifting a finger. 
Uh, and then, you know, guess what? Celsius goes bust, and now he's 100K in the hole that he owes the bank. So I, I would never do anything like that. But again, some people just say 20%, sign me up, and then they end up going in debt over it. You know, you're, you're really good at the whole political answer on the podcast because offline, <laughs> your response is all, it's on sale, buy it up. So I don't know who <laughs> to trust right. anymore. <laughs> Since this is recorded and since this is published for all the public to see, we always got to put those disclaimers in. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't I, understand it, don't buy it. I, I got something. You want in, You want some investment investment advice from me? Whatever I buy, buy the opposite, and you're guaranteed to make money. So. <laughs> oh, we have the same One plan. of us is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, for our last topic, and it will be a rotating topic every week. This was supposed to be our topic last week that I know Brian was super excited to talk about, but we did the story that eventually got pulled. This week, we're going to talk about the release of iOS 16. This is Apple's newest operating system for the iPhone. I do not believe it's available for the iPad yet. My personal favorite feature of iOS 16 is the iMessage mark as unread feature after 16 iterations of the operating system, we finally got the mark as unread feature for iMessage and text message. Brian, you have been using lockdown mode for ne nearly two weeks now. Yeah. There's a specific feature I use with lockdown mode, which it would be disabled, and I won't say which feature, but I need that feature, so I can't enable lockdown mode just yet. So, Duke, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly of lockdown mode? Excuse me, it is Cloud God today, not Duke. So I overall, I think I, I love it to death. I don't think that there's really anything that there's a significant gap where I wish it worked. Um, one of the cool things that I had discovered is that if you try to FaceTime me, and we've never FaceTimed before, it just straight up doesn't work. So I feel like Apple's trying to take the whole like zero trust messaging in within to within their own apps which i think is kind of interesting which also makes raises the question or the flag of was there a vulnerability associated with facetime i remember that at one point in time you could facetime somebody and their video would click on before they answered so i have to assume that's with that i definitely yeah. like the fact that it, it hides my status like you know if i'm on do not disturb or whatnot it just tells people like it just says we're actively blocking that so i'm digging it uh, I did notice that I'm unable to share like um, photo uh, folder. I don't know. Just long story short, the what is it even called, Chris? It's the like sharing the iCloud photo, iCloud photos. Yeah, photos. Yeah. I noticed that one uh, kind of right away. Uh, when messages come in, anything that's like HTTP based, um, it's just it's just plain text, so you can't click on it and then and go about it, which is kind of nice. That's uh, one more step, right? It's got to copy it and then paste it, but whatever. Uh, same thing with OTP. So if I was in my banking app and it sent a, an OTP over, normally the banking app would notice that a message came in and it's like, you want to type this in automatically for you? It would just like, you know, hit, hit the pin or the OTP. doesn't do that anymore. It's a little bit of an oh, inconvenience. Yeah. But that's I'm, a great feature, though. Yeah, that's, that's a, a super feature. convenient feature. That's one of my favorite features of, I think it was iOS 14 when they added that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to relinquish that. And then right before iOS 16 came out, I had noticed that anytime I had anything in my clipboard and I opened up Instagram, Instagram was actively dumping or copying the clipboard uh, and into their app. So I was like, huh, that was kind of interesting. 
Uh, and with all of that said, and maybe even with the uh, the banking app, there is a way to do like a bypass mode for certain apps. So you can say, hey, certain things just aren't under the scrutiny of lockdown. So I, I guess I could probably do that for my banking app. And then the uh, the last thing that I would say that I just kind of noticed just going through it, me and Chris are, are friends with our little Apple watches. And so we do daily competitions. If he comments on a workout, it just comes through as kind of a blank file. And I can't render that at all. So again, it's that wow. zero trust between even the the iPhone and the the Apple Watch. So my my verdict, 10 out of 10, love it. If you're if you're flying a little too close to the sun, maybe this is a way to protect yourself. So the, just a question for you, like so if two people have the this protection turned on, right? Um how do you FaceTime each other if you have to be come across trusted first? That's a great question. I guess you can't <laughs> it's a chicken and egg problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. But all the other crazy part too is when it's like, hey, we blocked a FaceTime incoming FaceTime to you, and it will show the mobile number. But like when Chris tried to FaceTime me last week, I have him in my contact list, but it just still did not show his name. It just said the uh, this phone number was blocked from trying to access you. I wonder if it would work in such a way that if you know, I tried to initiate a call with you and that's enough, even though you couldn't pick up because you're in lockdown mode. And then if you were to call me back, if that would work, because I at least initiated a call with you, but you didn't pick up, but I at least started one. So that shows intent that I want to communicate with you. That might be the workaround there. I want to try it out. Yeah. Can you turn on bits and pieces of lockdown mode or is it all or nothing? I think you can put in exemptions only so there's certain apps you can just so say don't just, don't do it wow. so it's not like hey I, I want the otp password pasted in i i just want that feature turned back left back on it's not going to do that i think you can turn that back on but i think any any other type of integration between that banking app and your phone has probably been reopened back up not that i know that there's anything i mean face id still works but is the the otp you know coming in i have to leave the app to go find it yeah. Hmm. Much more secure, but much less convenient. Yeah. I typically watch the release. I don't, did you guys watch the iOS 16 release? The best feature on this entire damn thing is the three dots at the bottom that would show you like all your different home screens. It's the search bar now. It's just, it's so intuitive. I like it. So, oh, and then the customize lock screen. You can load up to like 50 different photos. And then every time you unlock your phone or by hour, it will cycle through those photos, kind of like that. Oh, it's not that picture. Not not that picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to pick the 50 it cycles through. Yeah, I did, okay. but it was All worth right. it. You get to go back in time and just notice that I'm just getting really old. And fat. And fat. Yeah, I, I'm I'm planning to upgrade my phone next week when I'm home. Uh, just couldn't do it while traveling because the last thing I want to do is be out there without a phone or a phone that's been jacked up. So and having to resign into everything. Has your phone yeah, been delivered yet? It's always risky. Oh, never mind. Uh, no, I, I didn't buy it. Yeah, I'm 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 a, I'm a year or two behind on iPhone, so I just bought the iPhone 13. So and I think it's great. That was always risky. I remember upgrading right before a business trip. I said, uh, probably should wait until I get back because if this thing bricks while I'm traveling, I'm hosed. 
And then your itchy finger did it, and you did it anyway, and then you hosed yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, knock on wood, I've never had a bricked update. I've never had to put the phone in recovery mode. Every update has been successful. So kudos to Apple for doing that. I can't say the same for Windows upgrades. Oh, yeah. Heaven forbid. By the way, to put it into lockdown mode, it actually requires the device to get rebooted. Yeah, which All is right. good because you, you turn off the features and then it reboots. And probably that that in itself is a security feature because if there's malware on the device, it typically doesn't persist through a reboot. Agreed. You boot it up with that hardware anchored chain of trust. Right now, the NSO group is frantically figuring out how to get around. <laughs> I bet they are. <laughs> it's always a game of cat and mouse, right? Well, yeah, I think we talked about that, that story with Apple apple putting out a bug bounty for lockdown mode. i can't remember how much it was it two million dollars it was some insane amount that said if you can breach lockdown mode apple will pay you two million bucks well what are we doing guys come on let's go to work <laughs> <laughs> get right on that yeah i'm tired i just want to go eat some food you guys did figure it out I'll, I'll take full credit though we'll put you on the the final report brian's job was to Make sure we always had fresh snacks and pizza. I'm here for the punch and cookies, baby. All right. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, I'm up. Don't let us down. We're, we're expecting That's big right. things from you today, Chris. All right. What do you call a belt made out of $20 bills? A waste of money. Ah, <laughs> damn it. I was going to get that, too. Wah, wah, wah. I'd buy that. Nice one, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. You'd buy the belt or you buy the... Yeah, I I, I spend $60 on a $20 belt. (laughs) That's a really long $20 bill. (laughs) By the way, for me, it'd be a lot of $20 bills because I'm pretty fat. (laughs) I'm pretty big. It's more of you to love. No no fat shaming yourself on this call, damn it. All right, to wrap things up, the new and used car market is just absolutely insane right now. Just doing the basics of security aren't enough anymore. Spellcheck may be stealing your passwords. Crypto scams are alive and well, so buyer beware. And lockdown mode works well, but not for everyone. That's all I have for this week. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Peppercack Podcast. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us five stars in the iTunes store and Spotify and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the Peppercack Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host Brian Deach and Glenn Medina, I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on all next week. And as always, have a nice day. Later, everybody. Bye, Thanks Felicia. For